Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. Join me in saying the pledge, please. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. special 4th of July, a wonderful day to be in God's house. We're going to proclaim the beauty and the glory of our country as it's been blessed by God. Certainly God has blessed these United States of America. I'm excited. The choir is going to present a musical. After the musical, we have a very special guest, Dr. John Landon, who is going to come and share some thoughts with us. I'm excited he's here. I've heard some of the thoughts he's going to share, and I promise you'll be blessed. So, this musical is going to be wonderful. You're going to enjoy it, and we're going to start it right now.
America, God shed his grace on thee. From its very inception, America's song has remained vibrant, colorful. America's song is comprised of a thousand descriptive stanzas, a new one added with each passing era. Yet, through it all, America's song maintains this one consistent refrain, let freedom reign. America's song is known by its melody of acceptance and by its welcoming harmony. It's a declaration to the poor, the outcast, and the exile. All those longing to breathe the sweet air of freedom. It's a proclamation that this land is ours to share, yours and mine. From the beauty of the Great Lakes to the diversity of our southern borders, from the majesty of the Pacific coastline to the grandeur of Lady Liberty herself, the invitation is clear. Of liberty, the flag of the United 
might never have noticed any of those men had you passed them on the street. They looked like ordinary citizens from varying backgrounds and professions. Perhaps the only thing that would have set them apart would have been their determined footsteps as they made their way to that Philadelphia courtroom in 1776. It was there that they would produce a document declaring to the world that freedom was worth whatever it might cost them. Suddenly, the vision of a new republic took its initial steps toward reality. And with the signing of our Declaration of Independence, the very first stanza of America's song was composed. Its theme was liberty, and its spirit was joy. And ever since that day, over 200 years ago, we've been singing along. Great. We'll bless each day with freedom, 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God, who gave us life, gave us liberty, the blessings of liberty. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow.
exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to
lesson comes from the Old Testament book of Exodus, <coughs> beginning with well, the sixth chapter, but beginning with verse 6, reading 6 to 8. That's Exodus 6, 6 to 8. Whereupon say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord. May God bless the reading of his holy word. <clears throat> I apologize for the fact that this is allergy season, and I've got it. <laughs> But we have two cups of water, and I have a pocket full of cough drops, and with the Lord's help, I think we'll be able to make it. This is Independence Day Sunday. It also happens this time to be Independence Day. It's good for us to pause and to think of this nation, our homeland, and what it means to us. This text that we just read comes from the 8th verse of the 6th chapter of Exodus. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a heritage, for I am the Lord. I think this text should remind us that we too, like Israel, have been given this homeland where we live by Almighty God as our heritage. We need to be reminded that the Pilgrim Fathers came here to establish a new nation of freedom, to come to this place, and first and foremost of those freedoms was to be freedom to worship Almighty God according to their consciences. And they dedicated this new nation to the Lord as they embarked from their fragile ships and planned to build here a nation in which the rule of God would be the only law. I don't have to tell you that a lot of things have changed since then, and many of the changes have been negative. But we have to remember that the Lord is still our God, and this land is still God's. Back in the dark ages when I was in public school, it used to be the custom to have special days in school, celebrating holidays like Thanksgiving and so on in which boys and girls were assigned to memorize and then recite what we used to call pieces. They were usually selected passages of poetry or prose. And to tell you the truth, I was always scared to death about those days because I hated to get up in front of an assembly and have something to say. I think it was the agony and the nervousness over those early speeches that made me resolve that no matter what I decided, to do in life, I would never be a public speaker. <laughs> well, so much for the resolves of childhood, but it turns out I made my living not only as a preacher, but also as a college professor, a lot of speaking before crowds. But I remember on one occasion in school, I had to recite a passage from Sir Walter Scott containing these following wonderful, memorable lines. Breathes there a man with soul so dead, who never to himself hath said, This is my own, my native land. This is a wonderful country where we live. And although it's been my privilege to travel to many foreign countries, I have never lost the thrill of seeing that Statue of Liberty when the plane flies into New York City. It always makes my heart swell with love and with appreciation for my native land. And it calls to mind that inscription which Lady Liberty is holding, which reads, Give me your tired, your poor, 
your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest-tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And no matter who you are, certainly this holds special meaning for you and me, because every one of us can look back to ancestors that traveled to this land from abroad. Many of them were tired, and many of them were poor, and many of them were part of the huddled masses, because they came because of the opportunities that they believed this land provided. Now it's possible for a person to fly across this entire continent in about four hours by supersonic jet, going 40 or 50, traveling it is at 40 or 50,000 feet. And I guess that's a wonderful thing, but if you really want to see America, you need to travel across it on land. I'm fascinated by America's great cities, but I would rather live in the country than any place on earth. I was born, not in a hospital, but in a little white frame house, <coughs> set in the midst of a small-sized farm in the middle of nowhere in Michigan. And one of my earliest memories is looking out of the west window in our house about this time of year and watching the field of wheat ready for the harvest, and it was undulating and blowing gently back and forth in the wind. And I remembered one of our patriotic songs, which I had just learned in school, and I ran out to the kitchen to say, Mama, I just saw the amber waves of grain. Our forefathers crossed the vast expanse of the Great Plains. They watched the prairie grass wave in the breeze like the waves of the ocean. They didn't travel at 50,000 feet, at several hundred miles an hour, but they traveled by wagon trains. And they called their wagons, quite appropriately, prairie schooners. And on these plains of the West, there grew up some of the most romantic traditions known to man. The vision of the cowboy seated on his horse before the setting sun. Some of these settlers eventually reached California, and then we could truthfully sing from sea to shining sea. We need to be reminded of the riches of our country. The greatest of these riches are not our material riches. We have material riches in abundance. There is wealth untold. But most important, there is life and vitality here, and most of all there is freedom. This country was destined to become the hope of the human race everywhere, and we may be the very last trustees of a free civilization. With the threat of nuclear holocaust hanging over our heads, we might be the last men and women on this earth to know what freedom is. In ancient times, it was a great honor to be from the country of Greece. The Athenians were enlightened for their time. They knew a measure of freedom greater than any other place on the earth in that era. And then, time passed, there was a time when a man would have given anything to be a free-born Roman. St. Paul tells us in the New Testament how much he valued his Roman citizenship. Later, there came a time when People regarded it a high privilege to be a part of the British Empire, on which, as I remember my fourth grade teacher saying, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Well, with us in our time, to be an American is something for which we properly should give thanks to God, because people will go to any length, they will break any law, they, they come here illegally, many of them do. And unlike the borders of communist countries, which have without exception to be carefully policed to keep people in, our concern as we watch the borders is to control the inward flow of people coming to us inward. And each time I fly into New York City and see that Statue of Liberty, I think of an English-speaking teenager that I met in Russia back in 1972 when I was touring through Russia. He, he spoke good English, and he asked me a lot of questions about this country. I'm sorry, this touches me very much. He asked a lot about the country. Finally, he said to me, 
with hope, with his eyes sparkling, maybe someday I can live in America. I believe that the greatest thing about our country is not the land as lovely as it is, but it's what goes on in this country, in this land. It's a great creative movement. It is freedom, and it is still gathering force. If you would look at a dollar bill, if you still have one, I don't think we took an offering this morning, but if you will look at a dollar bill, you will find on one side of it a circle in which there is a pyramid and there's a gap in it near the top. And in the top of the pyramid is a great big eye. There, this eye is a burst of light around it, the top of this pyramid. And underneath the pyramid are these Latin words, novus ordu seclorum, which these words mean a new order of the ages. And the gap in that pyramid means that this aspiration has not yet been fully recognized. We're still working on it. The eye is the eye of God on every single dollar bill that you have. The eye of God is there. The meaning is clear. It is only through God that this new order of the ages can be attained. And you and I are fellow workers in the new order of the ages. Now, if you watch any news at all on television, you know that we are beset with many, many problems in our country at this hour. And I am especially concerned about those people who are poor and who are hungry and who are out of work. But I want to remind you that the United States of America is a place where dreams and hopes and prayers and aspirations of a great people of God entered into the stream of political and mental and social progress. And I would like to mention this morning three of these outstanding persons, some of the, the greatest, I think, of the men of freedom. And the first one was an Englishman by the name of John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was a dean in Ox at Oxford University and he translated the Bible into English. So far as we know, that was the first English translation. And as a result of his work, the common people of England began to read the Bible. And when they started doing that, they were on their way to becoming a free people. Because wherever people read the Bible, freedom arises in their minds, in their hearts. And Wycliffe de defined the church as the Bible does. Where two or three people are gathered together in Christ's name, there you have a church. And he also elevated the sermon to be the center of Christian worship because it is the free expression of free people, two free people, from a free pulpit. And Wycliffe was seeking to establish a way of life inspired by the Bible, a holy book, rather than being inspired by just some kind of church organization. And believe me, he was vigorously denounced, he was persecuted, he had a terrible time of it. But his ideas took root in England, and before long, some of those ideas were brought by Englishmen coming to this country. Now you can imagine, he was persecuted, he had a terrible time. But eventually those ideas came to America. A second man that I would speak to you about this morning. We're deeply indebted to, indebted to him, rather, for our concept of freedom. That is Martin Luther. He was born in 1483. Historians tell us that there has been more written about Martin Luther than any other person who ever lived on this planet, with the exception of Jesus Christ. Luther defied popes and emperors and princes in bringing about a reformation that was thought to be impossible at that time. But it became, as one historian has said, the hinge upon which all modern history turns. And Luther brought the reformation by reading and studying the Bible. He translated the New Testament from Greek into German, which was the language of where he lived. And in so doing again, he discovered again for himself the words of St. Paul, this sentence, the just shall live by faith, not by works. And Luther took his ideas, he wrote them up, he nailed them on the church door at Wittenberg. 
And the English people absorbed these doctrines from people coming from Germany into England. They absorbed these doctrines and eventually brought them to America's shores. The third person that I want to mention is John Calvin. Calvin was born in 1509 in Geneva, Switzerland, and he translated the scriptures, and he studied and wrote his theologies, and he said, every person is a child of God. Every person is a person of supreme worth. Every person has an eternal destiny. So people absorbed the teachings of these men of God, and the time came when little groups of men and women whose vision had been broadened in this way arrived on what is now our eastern seaboard, and they established little colonies. The very first of these was at Jamestown, in what we know today as Virginia. And on the very first Sunday that these dear people were in that part of our country, when they first had landed, the very first Sunday, this band of pilgrims took a sail from one of the ships and they tied it between two different trees to protect them from the weather and they held the very first worship service ever to be held on this continent. There we are, reading and studying the Bible, pondering the great principles stated by Wycliffe, Luther and Calvin and on this basis they proceeded to build a colony which was the beginning point of our nation. And I would remind you this morning that these are principles upon which our country was founded. This is the basic tradition which differentiates the United States of America from any other country in existence. And it is a priceless thing which has to be preserved. And who is going to preserve it? You and I are going to preserve it by loving the church, by serving God, by teaching these traditions to our people so that they shall always know that they are the children of God created in the image of God and that no one must ever make slaves of them or put shackles on their wrists or what is even more terrible to put shackles on their minds. Back in 1959, Nikita Khrushchev, the premier of the Soviet Union, paid a visit to this country. The mayor of New York gave a luncheon in his honor, and at the beginning of the luncheon, just as Khrushchev entered, the orchestra played the Soviet national anthem, and all the people stood very respectfully. And then they started to play the Star Spangled Banner, and as soon as those first few notes were played, somebody started to sing. That wasn't on the program. They hadn't planned to do it that way. But one person began to sing, and then somebody else to, began to sing too, and pretty soon as they joined in, the whole gathering of a thousand people or more, and they all began singing the Star Spangled Banner. And the news commentator who was there said that they sang it with more power and with more force than he had ever heard it sung. And this reporter caught another detail that I think is really important. He glanced over at President Eisenhower. If you're as old as I am, or if you've read any American history, you know that Eisenhower was a famous general in World War II. They saw this hardened military man, and they saw the tears begin to trickle down Eisenhower's face. This newspaper reporter said you could feel a wonderful sense of unity and of conviction. And that is the strength of this country. But at the same time, we have to take a fresh look at the ideals and the principles which made us a great nation. We need to remember our spiritual heritage. We have to be on guard against the deterioration of character. When we cheat on our income tax, that is cheap, that is unworthy. When people in public or private lend themselves to dishonest actions, that is wrong. And we need to teach our young people not only to be smart, but that the truly important things in life are honor and righteousness and courage and virtue. And all these things have their basis and their foundation in God's holy word. And we spend so little time studying it. We spend so little time learning its precepts. 
We spend so little time pondering its truths. And we as a nation are virtually illiterate as far as the Bible is concerned. But I want to leave you with a ray of hope. There is, thank God, some honor and some righteousness and some virtue left. Several years ago, I was in New York City, which is about the last place on earth that you might expect to find any honor or any virtues, it seems to me. But I got on a city bus on Fifth Avenue, and at a stop after I got on, a man entered with his son. The father, as he passed by the bus driver, put his fare in the receptacle, but the boy, because he was short in stature and inconspicuous in the crowd, he passed by the fare box. And when he sat down, he still had his money in his hand, and he said, Dad, <laughs> he didn't see me. Driver didn't see me. I slipped through the crowd. I still have my money. I was sitting just a seat or two back. That father looked at his son with a mixture of love and pain on his face. And he said, That money, son, belongs to the bus company, and you are supposed to pay for a ride. And what you did is dishonest, and it is not worthy of an American. And I want you to be an honest man when you grow up. You march right up there to the driver, and you give him that money. Well, the boy looked somewhat chastened, but he did exactly what his father said. And when he came back and sat down, the father reached over and gave his son a hug, and he said, Now, you're acting like a real man. I have to tell you, that scene touched me deeply. I really didn't expect to see that kind of honesty and honor in New York City of all places. But it made me realize that many millions of parents and children all over this country are honest and they do behave according to the principles of virtue and high character. And it was men and women of this sort who settled this wilderness and who transformed it into the new order of the ages. And we today have the glorious privilege of defending and preserving this heritage for our children. In our text, God was speaking and he said, I have given you this land for a heritage. I am the Lord. May we be faithful to that challenge. And shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this glorious country. We thank you for the great men and women who made it so. Washington and Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and Lincoln and all the noble men and women who labored for it and who died for it in times past up to the present. This beautiful land is our heritage. Keep alive in our hearts the dream of our forefathers to establish here a spiritual nation, the most splendid dream of the ages patterned after the kingdom of God. Help us each one to make sure that we have crowned you King of our hearts and Lord of our lives, that we might rededicate ourselves to preserving and extending these principles of liberty and justice and goodwill, that America's spiritual heritage and material riches may benefit all of the human race. For we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, and for his sake, amen. Thank you, Dr. Landon. <clears throat> We're going to sing a verse of uh, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, as an invitation this morning. If you don't know the Jesus that uh, is present in this place, we want you to know him. If you are a church seeker, or someone looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join Broadway Baptist. And the way we do that is through a public invitation. So if you'd stand together, we will sing together, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. <clears throat> Have Thine Own Way. 